0: But it's such a privilege to have Mark and Pat in the house with us. Give Mark and Pat a round of applause. You can do a wave if you want. Pat, do you want to do a royal wave? You can if you want to. Um, Mark, do you want to come up? Uh, So Mark probably needs an introduction for some, not for others. But Mark and Pat have done ministry and Zim for many years. Are you going to do that sort of an intro? 22 years. Sheepers, as old as I've been alive. Um, uh and uh um, they they love jesus um they have stories some that have been great some that have been hard um but i just want to pray for you as and you can do any intro that you want but pray you me. pray for you perfect uh, lord jesus thank you for the absolute privilege of having mark and Pat with us thank you for their passion for you and for your kingdom thank you that they walk humbly with you thank you that their desire is to See people come to know you to grow deep in their faith and to make their lives count for all eternity. And so, as Mark shares, as they're with us, would you speak so powerfully and so strongly through him? In your wonderful name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for giving up your time to be with us. Thank you.
1: It's my privilege to share with you, and it's great to have my wife, Pat. We'll be celebrating. 42 years of marriage next week. We were married at the Mabel Rain Chapel in Salisbury, it was called those days. First came to the country in 1980, and we're back for a two-month trip. We're about in the middle of the trip. We've been at Bible schools, three Bible schools. We've been doing church services. Pat's been doing ladies' meetings. We've been doing marriage seminars we've been trying to stay busy to give a little bit back to Zimbabwe for all that Zimbabwe gave to us how Zimbabwe graciously received us with such wonderful hospitality and blessed our life we raised four children here and uh, Zimbabwe helped us wonderful place to raise children so I want to encourage you today in your faith and I know I'm on video, I like to walk so I don't know if you can follow me pray that I don't fall off of these steps or that if I do that I have a soft landing With all the questions you can ask the most important question is what is God like? all the other questions revolve around that big question for example, who am I? why am I here? what is life about? Where do I go after I die? What is God like? Well, we're going to look at three key truths, great truths, wonderful truths regarding what God is like. We're going to spend most of our time on the third one because it sets the Christian faith apart from all other religions. Monotheistic, Islam, Judaism, whatever religion there is, this sets christianity apart we're going to be looking at exodus chapter three if you've got your bible i think the scriptures will go up there on the screen but first and foremost this is exodus three what a tremendous passage where god reveals himself to moses and his name and god said unto moses i am that i am and he said Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am have sent me unto you. God is. That's a starting place for everything. I am that I am. God is self-existent. We know in the Bible, names indicate what is most notable about a person. God says, I am that I am. Self-existent. Self-sustaining, self-determined, self-sufficient. No beginning, no end, eternal, everlasting. No God beside him. He's so big he fills the universe. It cannot contain him. God is. The Bible says he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder wonderful starting place. When we talk about God, when we think about God, when we pray to God, when we approach him, we begin with the fact that God is. And I am awestruck when I think of God's self-existence. Why is there anything? Because God exists. Because he is. You are. Oh my, my, my. When we think about that, This one who is eternal, immortal, invisible, absolute reality. From him and through him and to him are all things. It should get our attention. I never forget being in a church service. And it was an international congregation in our hometown of Cincinnati. And a mother came, a Cambodian mother came with her boy and said, Jerome has a question. I looked at Jerome, I said, yeah, Jerome. He said, where did God come from? I don't know if any of you parents ever been asked that by your children, but it's to be encouraged. He's a budding theologian. He already realizes he's come from somewhere. His mom and dad came from somewhere. His grandparents and everything he sees has come from somewhere, and now he's hearing about God, and his question is, where did God come from? So I called my youngest son over, who's 18 and was finishing high school, getting ready to go to college. And I called him over because I knew he had just above his heart this name of God tattooed. And, um, you know, I I, I wrote it in black marker, uh, had it outlined the Hebrew characters before he had it done because I said, once you do it's permanent, you know. And he needed my permission. And the three younger were kind of surprised that I gave it to him. Because under the former regime, it wouldn't have happened in Zimbabwe. But I said, Ethan, show Jerome your tattoo. And he kind of looked at me sideways like, really? And I said, explain to him what, he, what it means. Because he has a question. Where did God come from? And Ethan Went off to the side with Jerome and explained to Jerome the name I am that I am. That God has always been there. There was no time when there wasn't God. And I looked at Jerome's face. And if you think about that too long, it's kind of looking like looking at the sun in all its strength. His face kind of went blank a little bit like, really? Contemplate. God is. That's the starting place. And God says to Moses, he says the second thing, and we see this in verse 7 of Exodus 3. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. He who made the eye sees. He who formed the ear hears. God knows. He's a person. He's not an autonomous force. He's not blind fate. He's not chance. He's a person who wills, who feels, who thinks. He's not the combination of all that's created. He's not the universe trying to talk to you. He is a self-existent being that is so unique and a class all of his own. So far above and beyond. He's infinitely holy, which means set apart, separate. He has got life in himself, and he says... I see what's going on. I see the affliction. I hear the groaning. I know their sorrows. Prophet Isaiah said in another place, he says in all their afflictions he was afflicted. In all their sorrows, he knew sorrow. In all their pain and suffering, he suffered. It's a wonderful thing to know that God knows right where you're at. He knew where Moses was. He knew where to find Moses. He knew Moses 40 years earlier. 40 years before that when he was born. 40 years growing up in the court of Pharaoh as a daughter of Pharaoh's son. And he comes right where Moses is at. Calls Moses to go back and deliver the Israelites out of bondage. Moses had tried 40 years earlier, failed miserably, fled for his life. How may know there's times when God will call you back to where you failed, where you missed it. And Moses got all kinds of excuses. He starts off well when God calls out of this burning bush, Moses, Moses. And he had gotten Moses' attention. Moses had seen many Bushes burn into oblivion in the heat of the noonday sun. But this bush is blazing and isn't blown away. And he says, i got to turn aside and see what's going on here. What is this? Why is the bush not consumed? The bush is kind of like God, right? Mysterious, supernatural. Matter of fact, God's inhabiting this bush. God is burning in the bushes and burning up. God is mysterious in his self existence. Jim Pendleton said this Of all the contemplations of men and angels, one of the deepest is the self existence of God. Only God knows how he has always existed, why he has always existed, and will exist. He made everything, heaven and earth. Seen and unseen. When Paul's preaching, he said the things that can be known about God as far as his eternity and his power are clearly made known through what God has created so that we're without excuse. He was, Paul, preaching on Mars Hill to the Athenians, the philosophers. I'd always like to hear something new. And he stood there and he told them, God who made heaven and earth isn't like all these other gods that you worship, that you've made with your hands. These images. They even had one to an unknown God. He says, I want to declare him to you. He gives life and breath to everything. He's not served by human hands as though he needed anything. God didn't need you and I. He was fine. He was living in community, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in love. Didn't need us (laughs) better than that. He wanted us. He wanted you out of the overflow of his love. In him, it says in that same chapter of Acts 17, we live and we move and we have our being, all being rooted in him. So Moses starts off well. He says, when he hears his name, Moses, Moses, and put yourself in the story. John, Mark, Craig, Sarah. God's calling us. Put yourself there. and, and, And it's a good start. He says, here I am. In the Hebrew, the response of the prophets at times. Like Samuel was a little boy when God was calling him. He said, is that you? went to the priest. Are you calling me? After the third time, he says, no, it's God. And say, here I am. Speak, Lord. Isaiah, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up in the temple, said, here I am. Send me. Moses starts off well, but when he hears what God wants him to do, he says, who am I? I know Egypt. I know Pharaoh. I know the Israelites. Most powerful nation on the planet at the time. Pharaoh, stubborn, heart like stone. The Israelites, pretty stiff neck. Who made you a ruler over us? I can't do it, God. Who am I? Thank God he gets beyond who am I to who are you? What's your name? You never know who you are until you know who God is. And the more you know who he is, the more you'll know who he's made you to be. I think of my children, as I mentioned, growing up in Zimbabwe. I thank God that they, yes, they believed from a young age, but like Moses, they came to a point in their life where they experienced God deeply for themselves. To this day, they all love the Lord Jesus. I mentioned Ethan, the youngest, a very good soccer player, Uh, They played, and he was playing with kids a year older, and at that age level, they played in the Nationals, top teams in the country at that age group. His high school in the state of Ohio, when he was a sophomore playing with juniors and seniors, they won the state. They gave up like four goals the whole year. He was playing a game though, before he graduated from high school, and he turned his knee. He went down. He knew immediately. We didn't know on the sideline. He tore his ACL. Uh, he, he, he loved soccer. He wanted to play professional soccer. And sure enough, the doctor confirmed, it's torn. And he had an operation and, 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 and went through the rehab. And, and it just worked so hard. And I watched him go deeper with God Than complain and then we discovered it was just the the graph was just a few millimeters too much he had to go through it a second time and went deeper with God God knows I told him God has a way of working things out Ethan for our good that's how muscle's made. It's through resistance. Now watch this boy come to know God and go off to study for the ministry. And where I want to come to, and it's the third thing that sets the faith of Christ apart from all other faiths. We find in verse 8, listen to what God says out of the burning bush. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land unto a good land and a large and unto a land flowing with milk and honey under the place of the Canaanites and all the otherites, right? What I really want to highlight is God says, and I've come down. I know there's sorrows. I'm coming down to rescue them to deliver them. This sets our faith apart from all other faith. We see in John's account of the life of our Lord Jesus, seven I am's. One, for example, where he says before, Abraham was. I am. Ego a me, it is in the Greek. They knew exactly what he was saying. And They picked up stones. He said, you're just a man. Yes, he was a man. And the wonder of it, the God who is transcendent, far beyond and above all that is made, all energy, matter, space, time, whatever you see and what you can't see, that God who is so transcendent, above and beyond, comes down and becomes a baby. Sometimes we get familiar with these things and we don't ponder them long enough to think. The I am that I am became a baby emptied himself of his divine prerogatives, his attributes being everywhere at the same time. All knowing. He had to grow in knowledge and understanding. He had to learn. Just like you and me. Tempted in every way as we are. Hungry at times. Thirsty. Tired. We had a nativity set. My wife got a new one. We have our fifth grandchild on the way and in this nativity set, you know, there's the stable and the animals, and of course Mary and Joseph, and wise men are coming, the shepherds, and there's baby Jesus, and those little infant hands. Those little infant hands that would play with toys, and later would handle the Torah, would form furniture out of wood with his father Joseph. God himself, (laughs) growing up, In the world he created, in the house he built, he comes into it to experience what you and I experience. He came down. And later those hands, as a full grown man, would be stretched out upon the cross and have nails driven through his hands. But we need to know how how much this God knows us, identifies with us, cares for us, feels our sorrows, our pains, our struggles. We need to understand that. Sometimes we feel forgotten. You may be here today, you may feel forgotten by God, like God put you on the shelf. Israel felt like that at times. God has forgotten me. And the prophet Isaiah says, how can I forget you? I've engraved you on the palm of my hand. A mother might forget her nursing child. She might fall asleep, whatever. But I cannot forget you. I think of, though he were in the form of God and he emptied himself, he became a man, fully man. Not to be served, but to serve. And he came to die. Not just any death. God came down. And we consider how he delivers us. How he rescues us. He knew all their sorrows, all their pain, their tragedy. They were favored in Egypt. Joseph was known by Pharaoh. They were given good land, but they began to multiply. And the tragedy of it, they went from being favored to hated. And they made them slaves. And they even started killing their firstborn. It was a great tragedy. You know, God has come into this world. This world of trouble. He knows we're going to have trouble in this world but he's overcome it and he's overcome all the tragedies of this world you may have been through tragedies in your life great losses disappointments things haven't worked out maybe the way you thought there's brokenness there's sorrow he knows and he's come down into the tragedy of it i lived in zimbabwe as i mentioned for 22 years i saw many tragedies i saw the AIDS pandemic we buried many in Chitanguiza where we pastored we saw a graveyard grow by a mile it never came into my house when I packed our goods and we left in 2007 I thank God that we had not suffered loss of life or limb there were times on the road where it was miraculous how we weren't knocked off the ravine with the two younger ones the car rolled it was amazing and I thank God, and I thought, I'm going back to America, to the land of safety. My son's off at college. He's at Wheaton College in Chicago with the soccer team. And I got a call on a Saturday. Your son's been in an accident. I thought it was a car accident at first. And the detective said, are you sitting down? He said he did not make it to the hospital. And I learned that he was hit during a hammer throw event, track and field event where they throw this 16-pound steel ball, 200 feet in the air, missed another boy, hit my son, and knocked another boy down. My son, though, bore the full impact of him. It was the greatest tragedy. My heart was shattered. It was heightened. My tragedy was heightened by the fact this boy was a happy camper. Unusually troubled free Maybe two days in his whole upbringing that he gave me any heart sore. He's studying for the ministry, Lord. He would have served you for decades. He was already winning friends to Christ. And it's happened at a supervised activity. They called it a freak accident. The tragedy of it was compounded my mind and heart. Lord, you had protected us all those years. God began to reveal to me how Christ bore not only that tragedy, but all the tragedies of this world to turn them into triumphs and that he would turn my worst into my best. The things that seemed dead set against me, he would somehow make them work for me. That his promise that all things work together for good. It was the only light at the end of the tunnel for me, and I began to write his story called Blindsided, trying to drain the sorrow. Little did I know how God would answer me, the doors he would open to share Jesus. But I think of the tragedy. Think of it with me. For just a moment, God himself, the maker, the creator, comes into the world, and the world does not receive him. Even the nation he formed for himself, the Israelites, reject him. The rulers turn him over to their arch enemies. It's a tragedy. It's an aggregation of all the things we fear and dread. His friend, his close friend, betrays him with a kiss. All his disciples are scattered. It's an accumulation. It's a combination of all these things that we dread that are so tragic. His mother watches as they strip him naked and they nail him to a cross. Beyond all of that, the tragedy, the first time, the eternal logos, which was in the heart of the Father from eternity past in Sweet Fellowship. And such unity and such love and such oneness and such glory now hangs upon a cross and feels for the first time that the love of the Father is outside his reach. He becomes sin and bears the curse of the law and cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm crying out to you in the day and at night and am not silent. My enemies have gathered like dogs, like strong bulls. They encircle me. They divide my clothing. They cast lots for it. I may tell all my bones they're out of joint. My tongue is drying up. Be not far from me. You were my God from my mother's womb. The psalmist goes on prophetically like Isaiah in Isaiah 53 where he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid as it wore our faces from him. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But it was for us. It was because of our transgressions. When we look at the cross, and we look at the tragedy of it, and we've been looking at it for 2,000 years, and finding healing and wholeness and deliverance, Psychologist, it's a basic tenet of psychology, and I believe it's true. You face the things that have terrorized you, that have traumatized you. You willingly face them. And in facing our sin at the cross, we see the holiness of God, His wrath against sin, and we see the love of God. And we're healed. We're like the children of Israel. God brought them out of the the tyranny of Egypt. They go into the wilderness, and what do they do? They come under the tyranny of idols. They start submitting to uh, golden calves that they make. These are your gods. And as a result, naturally, logically, the snakes come. Poisonous vipers bite them and fill them with venom, and they begin to die. And they cry out to Moses. And what does Moses do? Does he just stretch forth his staff and send them away? No. God says, make a brazen serpent. Put it on a pole. Put it in the middle of the camp. Make the people look at it. Everyone who looks will live. And Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that all who believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, because it's not just the environment. It's not just Egypt. It's not just the world. It's not the things that are around us. Sin is inside us. We have this venom. This snake bite. And only Jesus. His death is the antidote. He came down to rescue you and I. That steel ball that hit my son, I think of, how my sin, the sin of the world, your sin, hit Jesus with full force at the cross. How it crushed him so it wouldn't crush me. How he got between me and my sin. Crucifixion was the worst possible kind of death. They stretched you out on a piece of wood. They nailed, as you know, through your wrist and your feet. While you bled out, you actually slowly suffocated and you had to push up to get air. You were also dehydrating upon the cross. The ugliness of sin. The extreme payment for sin. The bearing of tragedy. The bearing of our sin. Of our curse. That we might be free. Many sermons, many sermons on what we ought to do, how we ought to do it, For the good life. But I've only seen lives transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. When people look to his cross and his death. He delivers. And he is delivering. And he will deliver. He's the great rescuer. We need to know where we stand. We stand in the I am. The God who is. The God who knows. And beyond that the God who has come down. And he's come down to live inside you and i oh that's so amazing to me we need to know where we stand there's one commercial i've actually went on youtube to search for it's called Where you stand it was on the history channel there's this beach very calm beach with a mother a young mother with two small children they've got their buckets and their shovels and Waves are gently coming in, and they're playing, and you can see it, and the music's very light, joyful. And then all of a sudden, superimposed, you see on the screen, there's a landing craft coming. Soldiers with helmets, and and the hatch comes down, and they're getting into the water. You're seeing bullets, like in Saving Private Ryan, hit the water. And then it goes back to the woman on the beach and the nice music. And then again, superimposed. And now there are men in the water, and the water turning to blood. Goes back and forth over just a minute. It says, know where you stand. We need to know where we stand today. We stand in the I Am who came down, the bread of life that came down from God out of heaven. The one who came down to give life to the world, to give his body as a sacrifice. He will heal our hurts. He will save us from our tragedy, from our losses and our disappointments. He will forgive our sin. His name shall be called Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. Wherever you're at today, whatever you're struggling with, whatever might plague you, whatever's hurt you, traumatized you, let's look to Jesus. You just close your eyes for a moment and bow your heads. He is here in our midst, for He has indeed come down. The Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost, came down as a mighty rushing wind. The flame of God came and sat upon them. Wherever you're at today, if you if you are looking to Jesus for something particular, some trauma, some tragedy, even some sin you're struggling with, just lift your hand right where you're at today. We're going to pray together. God bless you. I see your hand there. I see your hands. Yes, I see your hand, sir. Yes, Mommy, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. We are so grateful, Father. For your Son coming and making you known as the Father of our Lord Jesus, the God of all mercy and comfort. God, come now to each one today to heal our hurts, to take our sorrow, to carry our pains, to forgive our sins, to make us triumphant more than overcomers. To bring us, Lord, into that good land, that land flowing with milk and honey, where the milk of your word, the grace of your word, the sweetness, the honey of your word fills our life. God, we pray for that spacious land. Each would enter into that heavenly land, that good land, and would live in the liberty and the freedom that belong to your children. That we would not become enslaved to sin again, that we would walk in such freedom and such strength to glorify and honor you. Just pray in your own words and talk to him.
0: just wait for a few moments just as he speaks as he shares things with you, as he highlights things Thank you for your goodness Holy Spirit thank you for meeting us where we're at thank you for demonstrating the reality of who you are Father thank you for the privilege of being able to have a relationship with I am thank you that you've come down thank you that you come down now and thank you that you keep coming down meeting us where we're at We're so grateful. Father, I pray that we would be a people who wait on you, who don't let busyness get in the way of times with the creator of all who loves us. And so as we enjoy your presence now, May we be a people who wait, a people who long for more, people who have an expectation, people who walk by faith, not by the realities of this world, by the kingdom of heaven. There were people who love radically as you've loved us. There were people who live for what matters most. Father, thank you for this special, precious time together. Pray for a tremendous blessing on Mark and Pat, as they have so blessed us. Would you fill them to overflowing with your spirit? Would you use them in more and greater ways than ever before? Would they have the most wonderful sense of your love for them?
2: I'm only here because my husband asked me if I had something to add. And I know that God is dealing with hearts in this room right now. I know that people are looking over their lives. And you're looking at mistakes that you've made and the disappointments that you've had and the chaos in your life. And you're wondering where God is and you're measuring, you're measuring your life, and you're saying, do I give my life to Jesus? Is this the reason I'm here? Is this the reason I've had this pain? And I have a book, I I have a book in my home. It's a book that I made after my son's passing. And this morning the Holy Spirit just brought one picture to me, it's, picture that really grips my heart, because it's a picture of my son after he tore his ACL, and how determined he was to get his body back. And the therapy that he went through was a nine-month therapy. And then he learned that it was too long, and so he went through a second year of therapy. And during that time, He had to come face-to-face with the chaos of his life. He had to look at the mess that was in front of him, how none of it made sense. He had his whole life planned out for soccer. But Jesus came face-to-face with him, and he gave his life to Jesus. And because of this, he was even more determined to get his body back, but not only his body, to get his heart back, to get his heart in the right place. And many kids came to us later, and they told us, you know, your son was the happiest person we ever knew. Your, your son had this smile on his face. And the smile became, came because of the relief That wrestle that he was in, do I choose soccer or do I choose God? And I don't know what you're struggling with, but I know there are people here. You heard the message and you're struggling in your heart. You're saying, God, I need more of you in my life.
0: We'll just quickly pray into that quickly. Uh, Lord Jesus.